everybody! Welcome to the Good Evening Kitties podcast, a Tales from the Crypt review. My name is Melissa, your ghostess with the mostest, and this is my second anniversary of the podcast! What? What? Clip show. This is a clip show for Season 4, Episode 1, through Season 4, Episode 10. I'd like to thank Charissa, Joe, Chris, Cindy, and my mom for hosting episodes this season. And I'd also like to thank you guys out there for listening and downloading, subscribing, telling your friends, leaving reviews, all that good stuff, leaving comments. It's been great. It's been a great two years. I love doing this, and we're going to just keep it going, and let's roll the clips. So he thinks it's Morty, his business partner. He's like, why is this guy messing with me? And so he goes, he leaves Elfie's place, and he goes and finds Morty at their at their office or whatever. And Morty's there shredding documents. Like, he's ready to get out of here. And so Howard, again, feels like it's Morty's, it's Morty that's doing this and threatening him and maybe going to cheat him out of the, his half of the money. And so this part, this part's dumb. Morty's, like, he's a bigger guy and he's standing over the paper shredder. And it's just a normal... I mean, it's large, but it's not huge. It's not, like, industrial or anything. And he grabs his tie and he pulls it down into the paper shredder. And Morty's like, oh my gosh, what? And then it starts shredding the tie. And it's bringing him down. And then as it's shredding the tie, it's getting closer and closer. And it's choking Morty. And then Treat Williams' character, Howard, just leaves. I could see if the, t- if the tie maybe would choke him out, break his neck or something. But I don't think that this shredder has this power. Because later, like, they show it and then blood's starting to come through the shredder. Like, I guess it hit his face. There's no way he went through the shredder. I don't know what it's cutting. I don't know what he's bleeding about, but he's dead. Or at least they they make you feel like, like, he hasn't quite died yet, but Tree Williams just walks out and is like, okay, bye. And you're like, okay, well, I guess, I guess Morty died. (laughs) Oh my gosh, they were setting me up. They're trying to kill me because they're so mad of what I did and trying to take my work and our work and like do all this stuff. And so since no one ever talks to anybody in this, in things, in situations like this, he goes back over to the lab and that's where Pac is working and he comes up behind Pac and he's got a bat. And so he's, he's freaked out because he thinks he's going to die in a couple of hours, you know, if not less. And there's just tumors everywhere. And he doesn't have any right now, but he knows that there will be some, if not some internally. So he's like, hey, Dr. Brightman. And Pac turns around and he's like, oh, hey, how are you? How are you feeling? And then he tell, starts to tell him something. And he's like, hang on, I have some good news. I want to tell you something. And George is like, well, uh, I have some news too. I found a cure. And he takes the bat and hits Pack in the head. Like real good, like a real good, like whack, right in the, right in the head. And he's just like, Poof. and it doesn't kill him, but it knocks Pack down, you know, with the blunt force trauma from the beginning. And he's like stunned and he's trying to talk. And George is really enjoying this murder. He's just like, yeah, that was great. I like hitting you. And... And he doesn't have time to explain. And he doesn't get to. <laughs> he takes the a huge needle full of the H cell 24 and jabs it straight into his chest, like into his heart and shoots it in. And then the guy dies like a really weird death and <laughs> just like shaking around from this injection of this, of this concoction there of the H cell 24. <laughs> before where he gets all messed up or he doesn't come to sound check and they're just sick of dealing with it and then they don't know where Scarlet is everyone's freaking out and so this part's kind of weird he goes back to the to the changing room or to the dressing room and he's freaking out in there he's got the door shut and his chest is like bulging his stomach's bulging it's all gross and it's a real crazy effect like it's just like push out with air and then and then it kind of ruins it a little bit because then this dragon comes out and pushes like his necklaces off and it's it's creepy but it's kind of silly 
Okay, so he's sitting there, and it's... I mean, go go watch the episode. See what it looks like. He's holding this giant dragon thing out of his chest, and it's all rolling around. And unfortunately, it's doing, like, this whoopsh sound with its tongue, which is kind of weird. Like, it's just like, whoopsh, whoopsh, whoopsh. And he's like, ah, God! And he's fighting it and everyone can hear it outside. And they're like, what is happening? And he punches the, the mirror. And while he's fighting this thing, that's when Nick hears from Vendetta that he killed Scarlet. Back in the dressing room, Danny broke the, the mirror. And so now there's all this glass. And so he picks a piece, you see him take a piece of the glass from the mirror. And then Nick comes running into the room and being like, I'm going to kill you, Danny. I'm going to kill you. And then he walks in and it's really creepy because then he's like, you killed Scarlet. And he's like, yeah, I did. And then he's like, I killed her twice. Because now what he has done is he turns around and it's really, it's kind of morbid. Like he took, he took the glass from the mirror and he carved out her face. <laughs> so Benny gets in the closet and he's hanging out in, in the hotel room and she's like, cool, let's do this. And he shows up and he gives her a rose and he uses that stupid line, a rose for a rose. Mm. And I'm like, okay, sure. And she's like, oh my God, hi. And then he walks over and he takes off his wedding ring. And I was like, ah, trash. Uh, it's always trash. <laughs> he removes the wedding Not ring. Not that, but it's his cousin. Yeah, it's his cousin. Well, I guess technically he's never grown up with her, so it's maybe to him it's just... Another woman. It's another woman. And it's not like he's of an age that they're going to have children. No, either. they're both like pushing 60 probably, maybe 50s. So later they're listening to this song and it's, you know, kind of romantic. And they're listening, they've had some, some drinks and they're talking about what they're going to do with the money and things like that. And then she comes over and kisses him, and he's just like... Kissing cousins, aren't we? I shudder at the thought of how many family gatherings we've missed. And I'm sitting there like, that's your cousin! Like, <laughs> you said it yourself just now, kissing yeah. cousins. That's the reason they say that. And she's like, I'm down, and he's like, all right. So then part of me's like, okay, so they, they slept together, right? I'm assuming. I think it's implied. So Benny just watched the whole time, yeah? Yeah. Because <laughs> he was in the closet just watching them. And technically, I mean, I think, like I said, Benny and Allison are kind of a thing. At least they were. So it had to still be kind of weird. But what if it took a while? Like, he's just hanging out in there, trying not to make a noise, trying not to sneeze. <laughs> so she goes back to her house or to her, her flat or to her apartment. And she's like all mad. And she's like throwing her coat off. And she's grabbing rice cakes because it's the 90s. And she has to keep fit. And she's eating her rice cakes and going off on, on Joyce, and she's like, I can't believe this, you know, and she's all mad, and Joyce has no, oh my gosh, there's a lot of rice cakes in that thing, I didn't see, they pulled it open, and it's nothing but just rice cakes of packs, like packs of rice cakes, goodness, okay, yeah, even she's like, why the hell do I eat this shit, and I'm like, I don't know, not all rice cakes are bad, but there's a lot of them in there, and so now she's going for the ice cream, she's like, I don't even care anymore, and I love this part that she's doing, because she's so, she's so mad, she's just like, I feel so sick, about all this and Kathy Ireland is just like what and she is kind of oblivious to to what's going on and she's doesn't understand why Helen's upset and then she's like oh I got the part Joyce had no idea she got the part yet Helen's like are you freaking kidding me like I, this is what I've been depending on is this part and you got this amongst other stuff 
comes in there and he's like, I don't know how to tell you this. Fred's in a bad way. He took your gun. I think he's going to hurt himself. He's been killing people at the restaurant. And she's like, oh my gosh, what? Like when she sees that the gun is gone, she's like, oh no. And then I was like, she really believes her husband is a murderer pretty quickly. She's like, oh shit. <laughs> so she has, she gets her stuff. She checks the purse. She's like, no, my gun's missing. She runs back over to the restaurant. Well, she, I guess she, uh, Gaston, Gaston gets there first for some reason. Yeah, he tells her he's going to go and try to stop him. I mean, oh, okay. So she doesn't, okay, she doesn't run off first. Okay, I thought maybe she did. Okay, so Gaston. No, you're, you're thinking ahead to what the audience hasn't seen yet. <laughs> yeah, okay, so Gaston, Gaston runs ahead of her to go check on him. They go back, he goes back to the restaurant. He pulls the gun on Fred, which I'm not quite sure why he's killing Fred. Is it because he wants Irma, I guess? I don't think they ever decided when they wrote this what the real motivation was i think the best way to look at it is the windago <laughs> because at one point yeah he wants her because he's got ideas and then he gets fred in on the scheme and then she kind of casually gets in i think what he ends up trying to do is kill both of them or at least kill her and frame fred and maybe take over the restaurant either that or just get away like you said because he's yeah. obviously He's obviously been doing this for a while. Well, if he's a yeah, if he's like a drifter type, he could easily go somewhere else. I don't just... know what happened. They came after each other. He's got this whole play. You see him fighting Christopher Reeve, who burns himself on the stage. Which I was grill. like, why is the grill on? Thank you. <laughs> That's in my notes too. I just have why is the grill on question mark because I'm like y'all y'all closed. It shouldn't be on. But then part of me like when we get here, we'll get to the little twist here. So he's got the gun in Christopher Reeve's mouth. And he's like, I'm going to tell everyone that you blew your brains out. You hear the and door then, open. Yeah, the little door opens. You never see who it is at first. Which I'm not sure why it's right there. And he's well, maybe we should do a, a murder-suicide. Because he sees it's it's Irma by now. And so he's like, well, maybe we'll do a mur I'll set up a murder-suicide. Looks like you guys both took each other out. And he's still got the gun pointed at Fred. And then that's when Gaston goes to shoot the gun and there's it's empty. And right away, Fred and Irma grab him. And I was like, yeah, I was so excited. Because <laughs> I was like, that's right, girl. She she called him. She called her husband. She knew what was going on. You know, in true Tales from the Crypt fashion, they, they spin it multiple ways. And once you see the ending, it can kind of ruin the beginning for you. But knowing that the whole time she didn't have bullets in the gun, which is what she says here, yeah. Fred knows I don't put bullets in my gun. I am wondering, at what point was she actually told? And I've decided over time it had to have been when she was talking to Fred back in the back before Gaston followed her home. Yeah, that he, like, let her know. Like, he had to bring her in on the whole thing. Yeah, I think I think by then he probably did. Because, yeah, the thing is, her gun is never loaded. She knows that. Obviously, Gaston didn't. And so she knew right away it was a setup, even if she didn't already have known before. But why wouldn't he check to see if it was loaded I mean, before you, he tried to shoot somebody? Can you feel the weight difference? I would think you would. You but. can, but it, it is insignificant to open up that chamber and see if there if that thing's got I guess he just assumed. It. Well, it was the kind that had, like, the bottom load. It wasn't, like, where you could see the bullets. Oh, you're right. So, I mean, it's... It's like one of those... It's one of those Mandela effect things. I decided it was a revolver. Yeah, it's not a revolver. My childhood. <laughs> yeah, and then that's when you see the face of just some eye holes coming after her. And then she screams and it cuts back to Dr. Getz and um, his PA or whatever. Consulting his own book. Yes. <laughs> Consulting his own book on what to do when a door is locked, which apparently he has no answer for. <laughs> He's like, I don't know what to do. It's not here. 
so they're at Felicity's bedroom door. They haven't even really noticed that Rona's gone yet. They're just like, whatever. And so they go to open it, and that's when he gets electrically shocked again on the door now. Now he's real mad. And so now Felicity's back in her bedroom, which is on the other side of the door, you can see. And she's walking around, and she's heading back out through a secret passage. So there's like, there's all these different passages. The PA is pretty smart. She's She's got a mind on her. She she takes some of that nasty gum and she uses it to open the door so she doesn't get electrocuted. And I was like, well, she's good to have one. I mean, there are plenty of less gross things yeah. I feel like she could have used for that. That's true. Yes. Yeah, there had to have been, like, doesn't, I'm trying to think what doesn't conduct electricity. I mean, I guess rubber, like a rubbery. Right. Yeah, you could have used, like, the bottom of your shoe The insulation of her jacket would have been yeah. enough. Like, there, there was absolutely no valid reason to grab a handful of used gum at the, almost any situation. The writers were like, well, we have all this gum. We're going <laughs> to use it. Did they really use gum? Did they all just sit around chewing gum and sticking it to a wall? <laughs> that was that was the intern's job one day. Yeah. Just chew as much gum as you can. Guys, my jaw hurts. <laughs> Steve, get back in there and start chewing. I'm sorry. Okay. Billy Quintain shows up at Mescal, and it's a cool little western town. It's everything I like. Um, you got the stables. There's always like a saloon, like a blacksmith and things like that. So he shows up and he's got both horses now. And people are checking him out. But I do love me an old west town in the middle of nowhere. This definitely reminds me of Rango. Or I guess I could say Rango reminds me of this. I don't know, since it came out later. But Rango was really cute. If you haven't seen it, it's a fun movie. And so he just shows up to the stable and he just like gives him the horse like, hey, here are my horses and just like tosses him some coins. Does he even know the guy's name? Like, do you have to sign your horse in? I guess you just know which one's your horse. I He just like walks in and he's like, hey, watch my horse. Ping! And like flings the coin at him. The guy's like, whatever. <laughs> and he's all like looking at the daughter. And he's like, you have your dad's eyes. And I'm like. That's not creepy do at all. Want, do you want to do her dad? Like, what is... Like, and she's like, oh my gosh, I do, but she's, come on, he's cute right here. Come on, he's kind of cute. Look at his hair. <laughs> like, he could grease a bowl of popcorn with that hair. It's so greasy. <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll give it to you. He he is somewhat attractive. And he's got, like, a little bit of some stubble there, and his hair's uh -huh. wet, like, in his face. But yeah, he's all like, you got your dad's eyes, and she's like, oh, swoon. And so she needs a ride home, and so he gives her a ride home and drives like 80 miles an hour, and she's like, that is so sexy, I'm almost gonna die. And then parked outside of her house, and by now the hairs fall down into his face. They say goodbye, and they do like this gross kind of like tongue thing, kiss thing. Which I want to point out too, like, what are their ages too? Because it's never like, it's ambiguous as what their ages are, but I assume the daughter's the teenager, and yeah. Brad Pitt's character's gotta be, what, in his 20s? So it's kind of, like, creepy that he's, like, hitting on someone's yeah. daughter who's, like, a teenager. Like, mm. Yeah, I want to say she's at least probably 17. And then he's probably at least 21, if not, like, 23. I don't know. And apparently all he does for a living is stalk people who, who he wants to drag race and possibly kill. Yeah. So he can get it tattooed down his arm. So she goes in. She's like, okay, bye. I only known you for, like, an hour. <laughs> I'm in love. And this is going to totally piss my dad off. I can't wait. <laughs> Even though her and her dad seem to get along pretty well, so I don't know what... Yeah, maybe she's having, like, a rebellious... I mean, because, like, most teenagers go through that, like, rebellious stage. Maybe she's having a little bit of, like, oh, maybe I'll date the bad guy or the bad boy and, like, my... Like I said, he is cute. And he... <laughs> so you're like, and he's got a nice car. How yes. can he afford it, though, if all he does is, like, does he get money from, like, racing these people? So that's what like... makes me wonder, is he really just dead from the past? Is this some sort of play on the movie, sometimes they come back or whatever? 
And that's when this part that bothered me happens. And so this guy who's like, I don't think he's not homeless because we find out later. Well, we he, thought he was. Yeah, we thought he was because he's... Because they talked about, Grady was talking about how he was trying to get them to let the homeless come in at nighttime and stay. Oh, because it's so cold. Uh-huh. And but you, he said, but you see how far that got. Well, because that, me. in the beginning... So that, then that makes you think that's a homeless yeah. guy. Well, in the beginning, that creepy lady was singing Old right. MacDonald had a farm. Uh-huh. Like, she was just, like, hanging out behind the desk, going through their trash. And so this guy is banging on the door, and he's like, let me in, let me in, and I have a book, you know, and he's... Oh, he's acting nuts all Yeah, and he's, he's, yeah, he's acting really crazy. Mm-hmm. And I'm, this part angered me a little bit, because I'm like, first of all, there's a book slot. Mm-hmm. He had, he knows that. He needs to just put it through the slot, which he does later. After he screams, after he's banged on the for, door for like ten minutes at this poor woman who looks terrified, and went over to the other emergency door side, and yeah. he was doing that side, and and, he, and I'm like, fifteen cents of your overdue book fee, it's not going to be a problem. Like, <laughs> you can bring it back the next day, it'll be fine. And there's a book slot, and so yeah, he runs over to the side, and he's like hitting the the side door. And then she goes over to check that, and the alarm goes off. So now she's scared, and the alarm's going on, and he's banging on the door. So she does what she does. The best thing she can think of, she just turns all the lights off. She's like, I can't hear anything, la, la, la. And she just turns all the lights out, blocks out this guy, is panicking. And then all of a sudden, that's when you hear Miss Pritchard's back. The door's still knocking in the background, but then it's Miss Pritchard. She's yeah. Saying, Let me in or whatever. Now she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, good. Now she'll look super brave uh-huh. <laughs> in front of her boss. And so she lets her in. She's got the sandwiches. And this is when Miss Pritchard, who should have probably explained this two weeks ago when mm-hmm. Margaret started the job, was that this man who was returning the book does this all the time. He works late, so sometimes he shows up after hours and she lets him in. But he did put the book in the book slot eventually. But, uh, yeah, eventually he just put him in the book slot. So why he did so I'm like, that? I don't know why he was so worried. Unless he just likes to come in and chat with Miss Pritchard, but she wasn't there. So I don't know. 